You're listening to Stream of Conscience, Beckett's Religious Liberty Podcast. Today's episode is Morality and Mandates. I'm Hannah Smith, Senior Counsel at Beckett. And I'm Katie Geary, a Beckett Fellow. Today we bring you the unexpected story of a group of nuns who took on the federal government and won. It's the story of the Little Sisters of the Poor and their fight to preserve their conscience. Their battle was against a regulation issued by the Department of Health and Human Services. It required them to provide certain drugs and devices that went against their church's teachings. We'll take you through the court decisions behind the media storm and show you what it took to win the Little Sisters their freedom. On March 23, 2016, over a hundred nuns stood at the steps of the United States Supreme Court. They were all there to support another group of nuns who were inside the court. It was the day of oral arguments for the Little Sisters of the Poor. And let me tell you, this day was a long time coming. Just how long did it take from the start of their case, Hannah? Well, Katie, if you count from the moment the federal government issued its problematic regulation, then it would be five years. Wow. Okay. Well, let's back up. I like to tell young people that I found my vocation through an act of selfishness. That is Sister Constance. She's one of the Little Sisters of the Poor based in Washington, D.C. I decided to do service because I wanted to have something to put on my college applications and knew that community service was one of the things you should have on your resume. Well, the joke was on Sister Constance, so to speak. I really knew by the end of the summer that this was my calling. The Little Sisters of the Poor is an order that goes back to 1839 in post-revolution France to a woman named Saint Jean Jugon. One winter's night in 1839, we'll never know the exact date, she became aware of the plight of a poor elderly woman in town who had been left with no one to care for her. And she scooped her up in her arms, carried her home, brought her home and put her in her own bed. And so that's really the beginning of the congregation. This one act of kindness, this act of mercy, grew into what is now a global order of consecrated Catholic women. In the U.S. alone, there are 27 homes serving hundreds and hundreds of individuals. And in Catholic orders like the Little Sisters, the nuns take vows specific to their calling. So in this case, caring for the elderly poor. Our sole ministry in the church is the care of needy elderly persons who we bring into our own homes. They're wonderful people to work with and to be with all the time. I always have, anytime I do anything with the sisters, it's a good day. That's Mark Rienzi, senior counsel at Beckett. So here's the part where you say, wait, how did a law firm and a Catholic order of nuns become a team? And make it to the Supreme Court. The short answer is... The Affordable Care Act. Actually, it was a regulation that was issued under the Affordable Care Act by the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS. Preventive care should include coverage of contraceptive services such as birth control. It was a federal mandate that required all employers to include the full range of FDA-approved contraceptive drugs and devices in the health care plans they provide to their employees and to pay for it out of their own pockets. Now, plenty of people were debating this as policy. Is it good? Is it bad? But that wasn't the problem here. The problem was that it trampled on freedom of religious exercise. Well, it was requiring religious groups to do something that went against their deepest religious beliefs, which is pay for drugs and devices 
places that cause abortions and that stop pregnancy and act as contraceptives, which everybody ought to know. There are a lot of religious groups that have have issues with that. There's a very broad range of views on contraception among religious and non-religious people alike. But this regulation didn't allow any room for people to, in good faith, opt out of the requirement. In fact, HHS had carved out a very narrow exemption, only for churches. It was the most narrow exemption known to federal law. But oddly, this exemption didn't apply to the nuns. The administration said, well, the Catholic Church is exempt, the bishops are exempt, parish churches are exempt, but those nuns... Not exempt. Which meant... Well, in very simple terms, the mandate gave us a choice of either submitting to it, in which case we would be participating in the provision of services which were in clear contradiction of our Catholic faith. The other choice was face insurmountable fines of up to $70 million a year across our 27 homes in the United States. You heard that right. $70 million in fines. For a religious group that literally begs, that's how they get the funds to run their homes. Part of why this bothered the Little Sisters so much was that they were so deliberate in how they created their health care plans. They really care about providing good quality health care to their employees that's consistent with their Catholic faith. They've gone out of their way, actually, to offer a health plan with a group called the Christian Brothers. Um, and it's really uh, a group of hundreds of religious Catholic groups getting together and pooling their money to ensure their employees and give them good health benefits, which the sisters deeply believe in giving to their employees, but doing it in a way that is consistent with their shared Catholic faith. At first, the Little Sisters were fairly sure that this could all be resolved if the government understood one simple fact, that a Catholic order of nuns is just as Catholic as a group of Catholic bishops and should get the same treatment, the same exemption under the law. We came out saying, you know, there's no way that we can face these fines and there's no way that we can violate our faith and we are just praying that there can be a resolution to this. So HHS asked the public what it thought about this proposed regulation, and the Little Sisters made their views clear. Over and over again, the Little Sisters said, we aren't against the Affordable Care Act, not at all. We just can't have anything to do with these drugs and services. It's it's just impossible. They contradict the core teachings of our faith. And the Little Sisters weren't alone. I mean, many different religious organizations provided comments to the federal government expressing their concern with this regulation. And all of them really had faith that the administration would listen to them. Well, it's funny. They became interested in challenging the mandate late in the process because they tried very hard and they made comments to the government. um, And they always acted in good faith, hoping and expecting that the government would actually protect their religious liberty. It seems pretty obvious to me that there isn't a difference in how Catholic the nuns are compared to the Catholic bishops. They're all ordained in the church. So why didn't the federal government just say, oops, you know, sorry, we were wrong, you can be exempt? Well, that's just what the problem was in this case. It would have been so easy for the government at any time during the years of this litigation to simply extend the exemption. Right. Instead, they made so-called changes, changes that they labeled an accommodation. So the government claimed that the accommodation would shift responsibility for the provision of these drugs and devices away from the objecting religious groups and onto their insurance company instead. 
But from the little sister's perspective, this was just a shell game. The government was saying, okay, you don't want to include these things in your plan. Here, take this form which we wrote for you. Sign it. And that'll give us the go-ahead to put the drugs in there for you. And what the sisters just said consistently is, no, we can't provide a plan that comes with this stuff. We can't provide a plan that you are going to put this stuff into. So this form. It was essentially a permission slip. The government labeled it an accommodation, but what they labeled the accommodation was actually the form that authorizes other parties to put new stuff in your plan. But all the little sisters wanted to do is say this. We're opposed to it. We don't want to have anything to do with it. We don't want to have it in our plan at all. That's it. And oh, by the way, remember the bishops, they don't have to do it either. So this was pretty clearly a religious liberty issue, right? Absolutely. I mean, the government was trying to hijack the Little Sisters' health care plan and turn it into something that would violate their core religious beliefs. And something that made religious liberty problem even more obvious was the fact that a bunch of other totally secular companies had been given exemptions. The government gave it to Exxon and Visa because they had plans that were grandfathered. The government gives it to the bishops because they are officially the church in a way that the Little Sisters are certainly part of the church, but they're not, they're not run by the diocese, right? So the government is giving out exemptions to lots of people. And for all those people who are exempt, their health plan does not include these drugs and nobody takes over or hijacks their health plan to include these drugs. That's what exempt looks like. And there are about 100 million people on plans that are exempt. These exemptions, they were financially advantageous to the corporations, but the government couldn't find a way to give the Little Sisters of the Poor a break. It was outrageous. So after a long process of urging the government to expand the exemption to include these nuns and other religious nonprofits, the government, well, they just simply wouldn't budge. So the Little Sisters sued. They only filed the case very late in the process when it became clear that there was no no other way. So what did this mean, Hannah? If they're suing the federal government, what court was that in? Well, it was in a federal district court in Denver, Colorado. We filed the Little Sisters case in September 2013. It was the first class action lawsuit against the contraceptive mandate because they were filing not only on behalf of themselves, but on behalf of all of the other several hundred Catholic groups that had this joint health plan together. So quickly, there were a lot of other nonprofit religious organizations that were opposed to this mandate. That's exactly right. So organizations with different religious beliefs, some against all the drugs and some against only a subset of the drugs. And we will get there, but these lawsuits, they can take a lot of time, and the Little Sisters didn't have a lot of time. Exactly. I mean, the regulation was to be enforced in January of 2014. That was just months away. So while the case made its way through the court, we asked the court for an injunction, which basically means the rule will temporarily not apply or be enforced against them until the case has been resolved. So back in the end of 2013, November and December of 2013, there were a couple of dozen of these cases on behalf of nonprofit religious groups seeking protection from the mandate who needed an injunction by January 1st to avoid the fines. And one by one, as you went through December, almost everybody else got protection from the courts. After having the motion for a few months, the afternoon of December 27th, the Friday between Christmas and New Year's, the judge issued an order saying, tough luck to the Little Sisters. You may think that you can't sign this form, but you have no civil rights protection. Basically, you've got to sign the form. You've got to pay the fines. We filed for an emergency uh, order from the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. That court rejected us on New Year's Eve, saying, sorry, sisters, essentially, you have to sign the form or you have to pay the fines. It was New Year's Eve. 
And it's like the impossible just happened. How could this have happened? You can imagine how the little sisters felt, but at Beckett, we were just as disappointed. When everyone else has gotten protection for their clients and you've been entrusted to protect the little sisters of the poor and you read that order and you say, oh no, I failed them. They're about to get crushed by these fines. And so that is sort of gut-wrenching, awful, terrible feeling um, because you just look at it and say, how could I fail them, right? They're so important, I cannot let them down. It's New Year's Eve and Beckett has to file. What is really, for lack of a better term, or maybe because it's the precisely right term, a Hail Mary kind of motion. Let me just convey to you what this meant. It's New Year's Eve, and Beckett lawyers were racing against the clock to get this appeal in to Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Because she's the justice for the 10th Circuit. Well, uh, at the time we filed it, Justice Sotomayor was on a train. She was on her way up to New York City to drop the ball in Times Square with Miley Cyrus and other people. So Justice Sotomayor is on a train to New York City. Beckett lawyers have filed for the injunction and are finally home with their families. And the Little Sisters of the Poor, what are they doing? Well, they're throwing a New Year's Eve party for the elderly in their homes. And then... The Hail Mary Pass worked. Around 9.30 at night, we received the call from the Supreme Court emergency clerk telling us that the court had issued an order and that we were protected. And that was about the best phone call I ever got to place in my professional life, to call Mother Lorraine that night and say, uh, Mother, you do not have to think about signing that form. You do not have to go to bed thinking the fines are coming. Um, We've gotten a reprieve from the court. How significant was this? Oh, it was huge. But still, the case, it wasn't even close to over. No, it still had to go back to the Tenth Circuit. This was right around the time when the Hobby Lobby case, another Beckett case, was going to the Supreme Court. And because Hobby Lobby had to do with this same contraceptive mandate, there was a total media storm. Your faith or following the law, that's the decision. a religious objection to directly providing insurance. Contraception coverage for their employees. There was a lot of talk about employers like Hobby Lobby and even the Little Sisters of the Poor shutting down women's access to important drugs, a war on women, if you will. The decision to use birth control, which birth control, is a decision between a woman and her doctor, period. But the thing was, that's not at all what was happening. We have a group of consecrated women providing a ministry to a predominantly female population with the help of a predominantly female workforce. So how could you say that it's a war against women. And it wasn't like the Little Sisters were out to eradicate birth control either. Although we have strong convictions, we realize that we live in a religiously pluralistic society and that it's not up to us to impose them on everyone. The nuns were the ones who were saying, hey, just leave us out of this. Just let these private decisions happen without us being involved. We don't want to go there with our employees. Like What they do on their private time, in their private lives outside of work time, outside of our home, is none of our business. It was the government that was trying to get the employers to be so involved in their employees' personal lives. Well, the Hobby Lobby decision came down in June 2014. Today's decision is a landmark decision for religious freedom. The Supreme Court recognized that American families do not lose their fundamental rights when they open a family business. That was Beckett's statement the day Hobby Lobby won their case at the Supreme Court. And we thought, 
well, this has got to help the little sisters. If the Supreme Court agrees that this family-owned business should be given their religious freedom, the lower court should see this as a slam dunk for a case of nuns. But the Tenth Circuit... They found against the little sisters. They said that the sisters um, didn't have a right to object to signing the form, that it wasn't really a burden on their religion. That, um, that they didn't quite understand how the regulations worked. And the subtext of that, I think, was, well, sister, if you really understood it, God would be okay with it, but, but you're just not getting it all. So once again, the little sisters had lost. And something that made it harder was that the media frenzy, it hadn't died down. If anything, it had gotten stronger. People who were angry about the Hobby Lobby victory now had it out for the little sisters. So I was kind of at a point of let's say, weariness of the whole thing. And and kind of asking myself, why us? You know, like, we're not the most numerous, educated, visible, popular, well-known, any of those adjectives, religious communities in the United States. So why us? So I really got this insight that we have this dealing with religious intolerance written into the DNA of our community. And it's really part of our history And that became, to me, the answer to why us. We've had sisters who have been through wars and other forms of social unrest, the Spanish Civil War, the two world wars. Um, We had sisters in China who, um, at the time of the communist takeover, the foreign sisters were expelled. And then we had a group of Chinese sisters who were basically imprisoned and lived under some form of captivity for the rest of their lives and died in China, separated from the congregation. So all of that came into really clear focus for me. And I really then developed the conviction that we're just standing up, taking our place in a long line of little sisters of the poor who have taken a stand when they needed to, sometimes very quietly, but it was no longer why us, but we have to do this. They weren't going to give in. And that meant asking the Supreme Court to hear their case. So remember, at this point, there were several lawsuits involving nonprofit religious organizations challenging this mandate, and all of them were trying to get the Supreme Court to take their appeal. The Supreme Court decided, well, let's put them all together. Let's just decide these cases in one fell swoop. When this happened, the Little Sisters became the face of this big consolidated case. So the Supreme Court has put all these cases together— What is that like? Well, it makes it more expeditious for the court, but it's also a lot more challenging. I think there were actually 40 clients over seven cases who had all been lumped together by the court. And so that meant more working together with the lawyers in the other cases who were all good lawyers who we'd worked with well over the past several years. And Beckett brought in an expert, Supreme Court litigator Paul Clement, who had also argued the Hobby Lobby case. He's got this deep experience with the Affordable Care Act, but he also has more Supreme Court experience than just about anybody else on the planet. And when all the lawyers are sitting around the table trying to figure out how do we work things out in the brief, um, it's really helpful to have the depth of experience that somebody like Paul brings to figure out those questions as you're trying to figure out how to advance your case. And finally, the day of oral argument came. Finally, we're back to March 23rd, 2016. 
So you were inside the courthouse, Hannah. I was outside on the plaza with the hundreds of supporters. Oh, I know. My kids were there with my husband. I mean, there were hundreds of people on the plaza that day. And walking through that crowd was amazing. Over 100 Catholic nuns, not just Little Sisters of the Poor, but nuns from many orders, But on top of the nuns, there were all these ordinary people who came out to support them, to hold these signs up, and to say, let them serve. And of course, inside the courthouse, it was slightly quieter, but no less exciting, at least for those of us who were watching. Paul Clement did the argument for the Little Sisters. What were the main points? In the lower courts, the courts had really focused a lot on something called substantial burden. Basically, they said the government wasn't burdening the Little Sisters of the poor and that the nuns' religious beliefs, well, they wouldn't be trampled on by signing this form. But it seems to me that it's for the nuns to say you know, whether that's the case, what their religion allows, not the government. Exactly. And to say they aren't being burdened was just ridiculous, because we're talking about $70 million in fines here. And the government could easily get contraceptives to people in a way other than through the nuns' health care plans. As Mark put it, The government can put a man on the moon, and they can put mail in my mailbox every day. They can certainly get contraceptives to people who they want to get them to without the intercession of Catholic nuns. So in the lower courts, the emphasis was really on whether there was a substantial burden to the nuns here. But at the Supreme Court, the justices seemed to take it as a given that the nuns' rights were burdened. So the focus really shifted to something called strict scrutiny. Which means, say someone's rights are being burdened, the government needs to show that there's a compelling reason to burden those rights. And that the way they're doing it is narrowly tailored to their purpose and that there isn't another way that's less burdensome to their religious beliefs. So we thought our argument went really well. Uh, Both Paul and Noel did an excellent job. They fielded um, questions, good questions, hard questions from the justices, uh, but they continued to, to make the same points, which is the government is trying to involve us, and it's obvious that they're trying to involve us. Our religious clients can't get involved, and um, that there's really no need for any of this because the government has lots of other ways to do it. So you are in the courthouse, Hannah, with Sister Constance and Mother Lorraine, who's the head of the D.C. Little Sisters Home. Yeah, and we were sitting together, and what I remember most from that experience was Mother Lorraine was sitting right next to me, and she was holding her rosary beads and silently praying throughout the entire oral argument. And afterwards, when we were filing out, it really was the most intense moment, a moment when I felt that we were really carried down those stairs by the support of those who were in that plaza, as well as people across the country and beyond who we knew we were praying for us. And those little sisters I mentioned earlier, those generations of sisters who had remained faithful to their vocation through very trying circumstances. It really was an amazing day. It was also during Holy Week, which is the week that leads up to Easter. So for Catholics, it's a contemplative time. That made that day just doubly meaningful. But despite the high emotions, we then had to wait, as usual, perhaps for a few months, before we knew what the court would say. And then the justices did something highly unusual. They asked for more. More? Supplemental briefs. 
The court said, are there any other ways that the government could ensure access to these drugs and services? And they asked the parties to brief that question in supplemental briefing. Both the government and Beckett had to answer this question. From our point of view, the fact that the court was saying, gosh, isn't there some other way to do this, was very helpful. Because if there's another way to do it, what federal civil rights law says is government, you've got to go do it that other way. So we were very, very, very happy to get that order and very eager to file a brief to tell the court that, of course, there's lots of other ways to do this. What were some of the ways we suggested? Well, we pointed out that there were already existing government programs that could be used to deliver these contraceptives. And, of course, there were also the government health care exchanges. And we said there's really just one that you can't do, and that's using us in our plan. And what did the government say? Suddenly, their case started to, well, sort of fall apart. (laughs) They had to admit that there were these other ways that they could probably do this. For years, they said the opposite until they got a really direct question that they couldn't run from. And then they said, oh, actually, I could do it differently. So the Supreme Court considered these supplemental briefs, and then they issued an order in May of 2016. Yeah, it was a per curiam order. And as the chief justice announced it from the bench, he said it was a unanimous order. And it basically did three things. First, it vacated, which means it erased all of the lower court opinions that had ruled against the Little Sisters and these other nonprofit religious organizations. Second, it told the government that it couldn't fine these groups. And third, it told the lower courts, this is still in your court. You need to find a way to allow the parties to figure this out to better accommodate these religious beliefs. I was actually lucky enough to be in the courtroom when the justices read it from the bench. It was really an exciting moment. So that was it? It's just done? Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, the nuns are protected from these massive fines. And now what's left is for everyone to work it out. So the, the process is the parties and the government will have to see if there's some way to work it out short of litigation. There should be. There should be a lot of ways to work it out without the courts having to do it. Um, but while that whole process unfolds, everybody is protected. And that's really that's really what we were trying to achieve. And we focused so much on the sisters and their case, but this also had a huge effect on the elderly in their homes. That's why the Little Sisters fought so hard to begin with. They wanted to continue serving these needy individuals. I felt a huge sense of relief in realizing that, you know, we could not be subject to the fines and we were no longer really in danger of being forced out of out of our ministry here, my faith was vindicated. And it turns out that this case, with all its ups and downs, coming with the national media exposure that the nuns never expected or asked for, well, it it actually showed the Little Sisters something very important. Mm -hmm. Something that they always believed, but now they've seen it and they've experienced it for themselves. There really are many, many good people who share common convictions about the value and the dignity of human life and the importance of religious liberty. And if nothing else, this has just made me aware and connected to so many good people that we really do share so much with. And that in itself is a great sense of hope and joy in knowing that we never felt alone in this. Thank you to Sister Constance, the Little Sisters of the Poor, and Beckett's own Mark Rienzi 
for granting us interviews for this episode. Music in this episode by Eric McNerney and Blue Dot Sessions. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is a nonprofit public interest law firm dedicated to defending religious liberty for all. For more information on this case, our work, and Stream of Conscience, visit our website at beckettlaw.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Hannah Smith and Katie Geary. Thanks for joining us.